Unfortunately, JT performed in the Super Bowl, the Patriots lost. Uh, but uh, the only way to transition from a JT video into a sermon is to pray. So uh, let me pray one more time. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this sermon. Father, I thank you for a time to look at your word. Father, I, we need you to move. Apart from you, this is all pointless. Uh, and so, Father, the work of your spirit, uh, Father, as we sang, inviting your, your spirit here, we know your spirit is here. Father, move in this moment. Move the preaching of your word. Father, move now in your name. Amen. JT, my, uh, my wife is a, uh, she's who I go to for anything TMZ related in my house. Uh, when she's scrolling on her phone, I know it's likely TMZ. Uh, so she can tell me what is true and what is not true and keep me up with all things Kardashians. Uh, all of that world. So she was telling me, I was like, oh yeah, this, I'm playing this song at the beginning of the sermon. It must be about Britney Spears from back in the day. And she's like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's unconfirmed. It was in an interview. Justin never said it was Britney Spears. It just so happened they broke up. And then he came out with this song. So people are filling in the blanks, but he will not admit that it was about Britney Spears. But apparently he was dating somebody... And somebody started playing the field and broke his poor little heart. And so he said, cry me a river. We play the field in so many things beyond just dating relationships. Justin's heart was broken by somebody playing the field. But we play the field in, in various ways. We, we might have, we might play the field when we come to church and we're all sorts of Christian on our Sunday mornings. Until we get into the car and our kids start annoying us. We, we come to church and we have our church buddies, but then we go back to our soccer team practice or field hockey practice and we have our sports team friends. We go to class, we have our class friends. But what happens when somebody from our soccer team comes to church and they start wanting to interact with me and my church friends? Because we've been playing the religious field of sorts, now we're uncomfortable, and we have to act all sorts of shady, like, oh, yeah, I don't really hang out with them. They're, they're, they're lame. They're, they're whatever. They're, no, 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 no. Those worlds can't mix because, because of our comfort, because we're playing the field. When those things start to mix, we become uncomfortable because we've been playing the field, and so we avoid it for our own comfort. And when we do those things, when we pursue our own comfort by playing the field, we actually find tension and discomfort. Paul is going to continue on with this type of thought when he, when he picks up in verse 21 of chapter 4 of Galatians when he says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you listen to the law? He starts bringing into the fact that these Judaizers, these Christian Jewish people that are now playing the religious field, he points it out this way. He's trying to point out their way of life. And I'll break it up this way. You can take all the world religions in the world, that should be said, uh, in the world, and break it up into two buckets. You have, you have one bucket which would contain 99% of all religions. Work, 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 do, 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 earn, 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 and you reach salvation. God is pleased with you by your efforts. The extreme of that would be somebody flying a plane into a building and finding nirvana for committing suicide for their God. God will be happy with you. You'll reach nirvana. 
maybe a lesser extreme is following a whole bunch of rules and finding God through that. And then you have this other bucket that, that would say, it's not based on you. It's based on a God that offers you grace, mercy, forgiveness. He offers that all to you because he did it. He did it. It doesn't rest upon you. It rests upon his nail-pierced hands. It has nothing to do with you. It's all about him. And, and you would think if, if those are the two buckets, you, you would think no one would want to fall into this bucket. This bucket should be empty of people because this bucket is terrible. And that bucket would be overflowing. But it's not. Because of our comfort. Our comfort is to control. Our comfort is to say, if I want to be responsible for my salvation, I want to work a 40-hour week job and earn a paycheck. I work hard and I earn. And if anything is free, well, free is fishy. Free is I go to a baseball game and they're offering me, hey, sign up for this for free. I'll give you a nice backpack. Yeah, there's a catch with that. You're going to blow up my phone for the next five weeks. Anything free is not really free. There's usually a catch. And so we ignore this bucket. And Paul's bringing to mind these, these people playing the religious field. You know this bucket is what quenches you, but you're not comfortable with it. So it's Jesus plus all of these rules, all of this doing. You're playing the religious field. How is that working out for you? Do you know anybody that dated two girls for a season? How did it work out for them? <laughs> After time, they are left alone and empty. That's what playing the religious field does as well. So that's our big thought for this morning. What Paul is driving home, playing the religious field can't be done well. And there's three things that we must understand as we work through these next ten verses. Galatians 4, uh, verses uh, 21 through 31. We're going to see three things that we must understand to keep us from playing this religious field. First, we have to understand the field. We have to understand the options at play for us. So the text will go on in verse 22 and say, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to what? The flesh. Well, the son of the free woman was born through a promise. Now, even somebody who might be a devout Jewish person in this room, many of the Jewish people don't fully understand their history. Now it's more just, I was born Jewish. You and I, as we walk into this room, we hear Abraham, and it's just, oh yeah, I know a guy named Abe. So here's the promise that was made to Abraham back in Genesis to help give us a little context of what the person reading Galatians would already understand God says this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, who becomes Abraham, in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, which is a huge thing in their day and age. The heir of my house, Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And if you, if you know this story, you know Abraham is old as dirt. 
He's not thinking kids. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven. Number the stars if you are able to. Number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's an example in the Old Testament. Abraham did nothing. He simply believed in the finished work yet to come of of the Lord, a promise of God. He believed it, and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. Abraham did nothing but believe, and God put on him righteousness, forgiveness, mercy. And so as, as, as as Paul is writing this and he's explaining the field, he's explaining you have two options and he's using Abraham as an example of that. You have the one option where one, at some point, Abraham's going to grow a little restless. The promise hasn't come. My child hasn't come. And so he does something culturally acceptable. He sleeps with his slave, Hagar, and it produces a kid named Ishmael. He takes matters into his own hands, but he doesn't see the promise coming. Eventually, he'll, he'll rest in the promise. He'll, his wife, Sarah, will have a child named Isaac, and out of Isaac will be born the Jewish race. And so what Paul is doing, he's reminding them, you, to a group, a group of people that, that claim Jewish, the Jewish heritage, he's reminding them, you claim Abraham. Remember Abraham, who cares a lot, you care a lot about ancestry? There was a season when Abraham tried taking things into his own hands as well. There was a, there was a time when he went about, went about this whole work, 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 do, 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 that way of life. It was, it was later on when he trusted and rested into the promises of God. If you're going to, you're all about Abraham and that Isaac life, but you're living like that Ishmael life is what Paul is insinuating. I unashamedly see a Christian counselor once a month to protect my mental health because mental health is vitally important. And while I was meeting with my Christian counselor two weeks ago, I find myself griping and complaining. I was on, it was a Thursday afternoon. I had put in many, many hours, and, and it was, I was on my way to like a 60-plus hour work where I was complaining about all things Wellspring to my counselor. And, and I said on Thursday, I was like, I'm griping, I'm complaining. I was like, I got to go to baptism tonight and baptize some people. And, and I don't really get a break. I can't be with my family tonight. And, and he paused me and like psychoanalyzed me and all that trash. And, and not trash, but that good stuff. That's why I go to him. And, and he says to me, why are you calling it that? Why? Well, you're calling it work. Why is it work? And, and, and he says to me, like, the Bible just says, Anybody can baptize, any Christian can baptize another Christian. You're just a pastor. You get the privilege of being a part of that. You're labeling it as work, and so you feel like it's work. What if you label it joy? What, what if you label it a privilege and honor? Then guess what? When you go to baptism, I guess what it's going to feel like? A joy, a privilege, an honor. And if you were at the, at the baptism two Thursdays ago, it was everything like that. It was a joy. It was an honor. We had one lady that had family in from Texas for it. We had somebody come in from Connecticut for it. It was nothing short of awesome. It wasn't work. But we label things a certain way, and then we see options that shouldn't be options because of faulty labels. See how it plays out with Tiger Woods. And so great as a mother. Uh, there's no way. She was also supportive after Thanksgiving 2009 mm-hmm. when you had um, 
a public humiliation. Mm -hmm. Some would suggest, obviously, that that humiliation you went through mm -hmm. publicly, your private life exposed, has a lingering effect on your mind and your game. Mm. I've heard that too. I know. Um, I look at the fact that, yeah, I've, I made a, I made a bunch of mistakes, but in, in the end, you know, Elon is my ex-wife. She's one of my best friends. We <coughs> have two beautiful kids. How do you tell your kids why mama and daddy are not like together? It's, it's because daddy made some mistakes. Daddy made some, some mistakes, and I'd much rather hear, have them hear it from me. And so, so you've sat down I'm, and said, I I've, regret what I did. No, no, I don't. I haven't said that. Um, I say that everybody makes mistakes. And the reason why mommy's living in her house and daddy's living in his house is because daddy made mistakes and it's okay. You had all the tools. You go. So, so perhaps that Thanksgiving where, where uh, his wife went to his car and beat his car to trash, maybe it was because they were sitting there and he came to his wife and just said, I made a mistake. I, I've been with some, like, I made a mistake. And then she explained, and he explained what the mistake was. Like, can you imagine me going to him and be like, and, and classifying that as a mistake? Nothing I own is going to be intact after that. You're calling that a mistake? You're labeling it a mistake? A mistake is what my son does on his homework. A mistake is try better next time. You make a, you make a mistake on a test, well, then learn from it and nail it on the midterm. A faulty label sees things as an option that shouldn't be an option. Paul is labeling these things correctly so we see something as an option and something that shouldn't be an option. Perhaps that's why our kids don't necessarily understand the need for Jesus because we keep calling things a mistake and we're just teaching them, try harder next time. I made a mistake. No, you sinned. You sinned. You did something wrong. And what that does, that correct label says, I need Jesus Christ. Good labels eliminate options, and Paul has described the two options before us. The field consists of these two buckets. What do you choose? And so he goes on to say, understand then the situation. He says this, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is Mount Sinai, uh, Bearing, bearing children for slavery, she's Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery for her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is the mother, for it was written, Rejoice, O barren, one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor and for the children of the desolate. I will be more to those than the one who has as a husband. Paul is looking back at something, a situation from the Old Testament. He's looking at it allegorically. He's looking at it under the inspiration of God and finding a hidden meaning behind it that the common person wouldn't look back on the, on the story of Abraham and necessarily see the, the, the interpretation, see what God is doing behind this story. And so he's bringing it out how Hagar, the slave woman, Ishmael, the slave son, corresponds with Mount Sinai, which would be the law of Moses. That would correspond with work, 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 do, 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 earn, 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 take the promise into your own hand. And he's, then he's correlating it to, to, that's the old Jerusalem. That's the Jewish way of living. But then there's this new Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem coming, made possible by God, the Father, heaven, uh, glory. He's, he's talking about you, you can have Mount Sinai in law, or, or you can have Golgotha, the hill that Christ died on for you for the forgiveness of sins. 
You, you can have the old Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem. You can have Judaism or you can have Christianity. You can be part of the Judaizers or you can be part of true Christianity. What do you pick? He's, he's bringing out the situation and saying, this is what's at play. What, what are you going to do? You, you want to live perfectly. How is that working out for you? Are you perfectly living perfectly? The, the law... The law, rules, order has never shown me I'm perfect. It never brings about perfection. Have you ever seen any list of rules that would then show you you're perfect? Whatever your moral compass is, whether it's the Bible or something else, it doesn't ever show you you're perfect. It just shows us our imperfection. The law, none of us, none of us can look at the law and say, I'm perfect, I'm good to go. All it does is show us our need for Jesus Christ. I know I'm going to tackle a big subject now. and I know it's a hill to die on from some. But you know where I see this mostly playing out? Is that starting point. Because at starting point, I, I have a handful of people that, that come to starting point at my house. And, and, and they're struggling. They, they'll start saying, Jason, I came to your church, and it's different. Why is it different? Well, where, what did you grow up doing? And, the, and the, for the first two weeks, they'll talk about salvation. They'll talk about how they're going to heaven. They'll talk about why they thought they were going to heaven. And they'll start pointing to First Communion. They'll start pointing to baptism as a child. They'll start pointing to, well, I've said all of my wrong, all of my mistakes to a priest. I've memorized a whole bunch of prayers. I not only went to CCD, I taught CCD. They'll bring that all up, but then they say, but Jason, your church is different. And, and, it's, and, and they can't put their finger on what's different. And eventually what comes out is one main word, relationship. They're acting. They didn't even realize the situation. They were acting like these Judaizers that were trying to to, to combine rule and law, and I earn my way with a little bit of Jesus. And in starting point, they start to see now it's, I just need Jesus. And all those rules and things, I don't have to do those things. I get to do those things. And so what system is going to save you? Is it your own effort or is it Christ? Can it, can it be both? Can it be Christ plus all these rules? Or is it Jesus Christ and then I get to do these things out of, out of love for Jesus Christ? Paul is bringing that same situation to mind. And so then it's understand now then the connection. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of a promise. But just as at, at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the slave woman shall not inherit uh, with the son of the free woman. So, the, so you brothers, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but children of the free. He's going back to that story and reminding us that we're born supernaturally. We have a supernatural birth, which is what, is what Jesus talks about in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. You have to, you have to be born again. What, born of a woman again? I have to jump back up inside my mother? That's weird. No, born of the Spirit. Because 
You're born differently. Your life is different. Your life is wrapped up in Jesus, which requires a new birth. And what happens when we start living the free life, those living under law, those living under legalism, are going to persecute those with freedom. Hagar, Ishmael, started making fun of Isaac and Sarah, and it led to their divide. This is what sparked this whole thing when Peter, who understands how how Jewish Christians and and Gentile Christians are all part of one body, he started eating with the Gentiles. And do you remember what happened? The Judaizers made fun of him. And he got scared, nervous. He took it it as this big old thing. And and that's that's what sparked this whole mess. They viewed it as persecution, which was uncomfortable. And it led to a divide saying now, instead of being all-inclusive, now we're going to have different pockets, which doesn't honor God. A faulty label of persecution led to extreme actions. I wake up my kids on Sundays at, at real early in the morning, at like 5 in the morning. And we go to Wawa, we get coffee for the volunteers. And we're at Wawa last week. And, uh, and they're, start, they're joking, and I get to know all these employees and whatnot, and they're joking with my kids, like, hey, you guys ready for school? And they're like, yeah, whatever, school, yeah, fun, whatever. And, uh, and then the one lady was like, you're going to have so much homework. And Brady, who just turned six, he's going into first grade. First grade, nailed it. He's going into first grade. We're, we're, we're walking out of Wawa, and he's like that embarrassed scream, like he's like overly loud like his father. He just screams, I hate homework. Homework's awful. And I looked at him as we were walking to our car. I was like, what homework have you ever gotten? You just graduated kindergarten. The only homework you've ever gotten was when you missed school and you had to do some makeup work. You don't know homework. And he just laughed and then said, I hate homework. Like, he doesn't really, like, he's going to understand when any high schoolers understand what homework is. A first grader doesn't really get it. They're looking at persecution. They don't really get it. You and I use a faulty label sometimes with it. We classify a flat tire as this deep, persecution, doing sometimes a disservice to our Christian friends in the Middle East that are losing loved ones with a knife to the neck. Sometimes faulty labels wreck how we view things. Paul is bringing out persecution, how he's defining it. They looked at ridicule as this deep-seated persecution causing this major divide in the church. Understand the connection. Legalists, religionists, they're, they're, they're going to persecute those in freedom. If you look at getting made fun of as this deep-seated thing, then you're going to do the end result. Your discomfort is going to lead to your silence. Speak up, call it what it is, and then speak all the louder because if they're giving you a hard time, Guess what? You're doing something right. Don't curl up into a ball. Speak all the more louder of your Jesus and of your freedom. Jesus, Jesus is going to drive you to places of discomfort. Why? So he can prove to be your comfort. 
so he can prove to be your anchor, so he can prove to be everything to you. These Judaizers are saying, if you're uncomfortable, then Jesus is insufficient. When instead, what Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to drive you to a place that is uncomfortable so I can prove to be everything to you because I am God. This all rests on me. Choose Jesus no matter what comes your way when you're following Jesus. Playing the religious field cannot be done well. We have to understand the field. We have to understand the situation. We have to understand the connection with persecution. So the choice is yours. It's Isaac or it's Ishmael. It's Jesus or it's religion. The key difference between Ishmael and Isaac is the supernatural birth. One's Abraham taking it into his own efforts and one's, one's God doing something miraculous through Sarah. Playing the field never builds relationships. It only destroys relationships. I can, I can come over to this, this bucket and put on my favorite jersey, Mr. Kurt Schilling with the bloody sock, when we took the Yankees when they had a three-game lead and then we beat them. And you all are rolling over in your graves. I grew up in New Hampshire. I'm allowed to wear this jersey. Everything about me is a Red Sox fan because of where I grew up. If I take this jersey off to your pleasure, come over here and I don't own this jersey. This is toilet paper to me. And put on an Aaron Judge jersey. Y'all cheer. They're all like, Jason, you've never been so good looking in your life. You all cheer. This is going to be on YouTube. I got friends in New Hampshire that are going to send me anthrax in the mail. They're going to be mad at me. And if you know my upbringing, if you know those deep times where I went to my dad to a ball game, do you really want me to sell out? You might, like, jokingly, but deep down you know that if I wear this jersey, I'm not actually enjoying it. I actually feel really dirty right now. I'm a sellout. And when you know the truth behind it, you're going to see me even wearing this as a sellout, and it cheapens it. And, if, and then after wearing this, if I go back and put on that jersey, my, my New Hampshire buddies are going to see me as a sellout, and it cheapens it. When I got to Bayside early on, John Bowinski was there with his kids, and uh, I started joking with his kids, like, oh, let's go Red Sox, let's go Red Sox, because John is unfortunately a huge Yankees fan. And he, and he looked at me and said the most truthful thing he's ever said to me. He said, don't ruin this good thing I have with my kids. And then walked away. Mic drop. And I thought for a second, crap, he's right. And now, our new youth guy is officially starting this week. Great. He lives in my house. He's a Jets fan and a Yankees fan. So, Jordan, if you ruin this for my, me and my kids, I'm going to break your kneecap in the middle of the night. Because playing the religious field doesn't help a relationship. It hurts 
a relationship. And so you need to pick. Where do you fall? He says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus said to him, you, how, can, how can a man be born when he is old? Can, can he enter a second time to his mother's room? This is what I was talking about earlier, and be born. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, which is born of the flesh is the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. We have to understand our incompatible, we cannot combine man-made religion with Jesus Christ. The two are incompatible, and so one, spirit gives birth to spirit, flesh gives birth to flesh. There's no way to merge the two. So we need to stop trying to straddle the law and straddle race. They're incompatible. Choose. And so he'll say this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, my kids don't have some serpent, so this was the closest thing I could find to a stick. So that anytime you're watching Star Wars or Star Trek now, because they're pretty much the same thing, right? Now when, now when you watch Star Wars, I hope you think of Jesus. Because what, what he's talking about was this time where there was sin going through the camp of Israel, and God was going to destroy them all. God says to Moses, lift, lift up the serpent, lift up the snake, lift up this stick figure and tell the people, whoever looks upon it and believes that they're going to be saved will be saved. And whoever doesn't is going to die. And so that day, some people looked and believed and lived. Others chose to ignore their warning and died forever. So Jesus is bringing this out to Nicodemus, who would know the law, who would know the Jewish faith, who would know this story, to say to him, choose. And then he ushers this, this phrase, this verse that you've probably seen at sporting events. You know when you go to a sporting event, like behind the goalpost, or behind like when the pitcher is throwing it to home plate, you see those signs that say, "Go." that's the wrong one. You see... see that next verse, right? You don't, you don't see too many verses, but there's this one that just keeps coming to mind. You see John 3.16. You've seen these signs sometimes, right? At a sporting event. It's, it's that verse that just so, so illustrates our faith. It comes right after the verse I just read to you about choosing. For, for God so loved the world that he said, I'm going to turn a blind eye on your sin. Nope. For God so loved the world that I'm just going to declassify your sin as a mistake and just be okay with it. Just do better next time. For God so loved the world, I just want you to be really religious. And for those that are better than the people next to you, if you're, if you're better than most, you'll be okay. So just live your whole life striving to be better than the people around you. You're good to go. For God so loved the world, I'm just asking for you to be near perfect. He's talking to Nicodemus and the rest of the verse says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and his only son that whoever believes in him like Abraham, believe and it's credited as righteousness, should not perish 
which would mean not having relationship, but have eternal life, which would be eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, he didn't declassify your sin. He took your sin so seriously that he lifted his son up on a cross and said, I hate your sin. And I'm going to take the wrath of God out on my one and my only son who will live perfectly, not deserving wrath, but I'm going to take wrath out on him that those who look upon him and believe, choosing this day, Jesus will forever have my son. Romans talks, he who believes, confesses with his mouth, will have eternal life. And so this day, I'm asking those in this room, choose. If you've been a Christian for some time, but, but you're trying to combine these two world systems. You know this is what quenches you, but you're going back to this rule-based living and not, and it's I have to, I have to, I have to. I have to do a baptism instead of I get to do a baptism. I have to go to church. I have to read my Bible. No! Jesus quenches you, and you get to be in his word. I'm asking for those that came into this room, dragged into this room by your wife or your mom or whatever, but you're here. Why? Not by accident. Which world religion, which, which bucket do you fall into? Perhaps today is the time to choose. Perhaps your eternity really rests on this one major decision. Is Jesus for real or isn't he? Did he pay for all my sin or do I have to live near perfect? What is it? So I want to invite you to believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask that if you believe this now, that you would confess it to your Father for the first time, perhaps ever. God, I pray that there, as Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to move. Father, as I started this sermon, Father, declaring that this is not possible without the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you change lives. We can't. And so, Father, I pray that as we've been preaching, as we've been talking, as we've been talking about your word, Holy Spirit, move now. Move now for the decision that eternity rests upon. That there would be some right now choosing to declare for the first time, Jesus is not just an historical figure, but Jesus is Lord of my life because the wrath of God was taken out upon him. I believe it. I own it. I want it. Jesus quenches me. I invite you to pray something along these lines. Jesus, I have declassified my life as a big old mistake. Father, no, I have sinned. And I have done wrong. And I am sorry for my wrong. I'm sorry that you had to take the wrath of God on your perfect life because of me. I know this can't be done in my own effort, Father. I, I know this is done in your effort now. Today, I choose to believe it. God, I, I choose to own this. God, I accept it. God, uh, you quench my soul. I'm choosing you today, Jesus, forever and always. In your name, amen. 
We're going to close by singing Holy Ground, right? For some of you, we're going to worship, and you're going to now for the first time worship the true Son of God, which makes this holy ground, not just OCC. I invite you, as, as these aisle hosts, they have Bibles, I invite you during this song, the aisle hosts are, just have this volunteer shirt on, grab a Bible from them that has information on some of these next steps. If you just prayed that prayer during this song, get up out your seat, and talk to one of them, grab a Bible from them, and see me afterwards. Let's worship for some of us now for the first time, now genuinely. Thank you so much for watching. If this was your first time with us, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you call Wellspring Church home, different ways to give are listed in the video description below. And please subscribe to our Facebook, Instagram, and this YouTube channel to be kept up in all the newest content from Wellspring Church.